We're in week two of our series, Wait, What? And with our series, we also have our bookmark challenge, our reading challenge that we've been doing. We're reading these different head-scratching stories uh, throughout the week. How uh, Are you guys enjoying this series so far, your reading challenge? Yeah. How many of you have read it and said, wait, what? Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, as you've read it, I'm curious, has it made you want to investigate further on these stories? Yes. Awesome. I love that. I love that. That's kind of the purpose. One of the purposes of this series is to get us to dive in deeper and seek that true meaning uh, that we can't get right away. And so uh, out of the, those past week's stories, what one stood out to you guys the most? What one is just sticking with you, if you can remember? Uh, I think we had, well, I'll let you call it out if any are sticking with you. The tent peg, yeah, which is ironic as we're sitting under a tent with these enormous metal spikes, right, going into the ground. That story is wild, isn't it? Yeah. How about you at home? What stories are standing out to you? What ones are making you go like, wow, that one stands out? The tent peg one stood out to me since I read it in uh, middle school, for sure. It's a little bit gruesome. Any other stories standing out to you from this week? Yeah, yeah, and the, <laughs> and the coin, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I went fishing this week to try and, you know, get my taxes paid, and it just didn't work for me, but I don't know, yeah, yeah, some fascinating stories, but today uh, we're going to talk about the animal king, that's the name of our, that's the name of our sermon, the animal king, and it's the story found in Daniel 4 about Nebuchadnezzar. So we're going to be in Daniel 4 for a bit. You can turn there now if you want, or in a little bit. Uh, but I want to give us some context to where we are in God's story up to this point. So God's people make it to the promised land. We talked last week about they weren't yet to the promised land. Well, they finally make it to the promised land after 40 years. There's a series of judges and kings, and, and all throughout there's a pattern of God's people turning their back on him, God sending judgment, and then they return to him. And... And, and it's kind of the same cycle, rinse, repeat, until eventually Jerusalem's attacked by Babylon. Jerusalem, the heart of God's people, their kingdom. And they're attacked by Babylon, and it causes the first wave of God's people to go into exile. And that's what they call this uh, season. It's exile. And the king who destroyed the temple and forced God's people into exile is King Nebuchadnezzar. That's who we're talking about. So who is this guy? Well, he has the coolest name in the Bible, I think. Anyone agree with that, Nebuchadnezzar? No. If, I'm pretty sure the Dillons are going to name their kids Nebuchadnezzar uh, one and two if they had sons, but um, unfortunately they had girls, I guess, so they couldn't do that. He was the most powerful king of his time. Okay, his empire extended over 1,200 miles, uh, including Egypt, all of Palestine, Syria, half of Saudi Arabia, half of Turkey, Iraq, Iran, Georgia—not the state, country. Armenia, and part of Russia. It was huge territory, and the capital of his kingdom was Babylon. Now, this is hard to picture, but Babylon, its walls were 350 feet high. Okay, that is a, the same as a 35-story building. Okay, 350 feet high were his walls, and they were 87 feet thick, and they had no less than 250 watchtowers on it. Now, 
it was surrounded with a moat, and there was also a second inner wall. Basically, it was impregnable or impenetrable, whatever you want to say. And at the beginning of the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, he had already been ruling and reigning for 35 years. He finally conquered Egypt, uh, which was his last great rival nation, ending the war. So here, at the very height of his power, in the middle of this incredibly secure and strong capital, with no one, there was no one to challenge him. It's safe to say he felt totally safe, totally secure, and high and mighty, and completely untouchable. But some weird things start to happen to him in Daniel. Uh, he has a few visions, and then in Daniel 3, where you read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's this incredible story when they're thrown into the fiery furnace, and God rescues them, and at the end of that story, he praises God, and he goes, wow, this is amazing, you rescued them. But it's kind of clear that even though he's praising God, he didn't give his heart to God. Because at the very beginning of chapter 4, he still acknowledges and proclaims that there are many gods. And that you can worship more than one. So it's not in his heart yet. Until our story today. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has another vision. And none of his trusted advisors can make sense of it again, so he calls in Daniel. Now Daniel, he was one of God's people. And he was wise, he was smart, and God was with him, and he was faithful to God, and he was a righteous man. So he helped the king before, and here he comes to interpret a dream again. And he essentially breaks down the vision for Nebuchadnezzar to mean that if you do not humble yourself, Nebuchadnezzar, we're talking about the guy who built the enormous statue, if you remember that golden statue, and causing people to bow down before it. If you don't humble yourself, Nebuchadnezzar, repent of your pride, then God will humble you for you. And he will make you like a beast of the field for seven years. That is a very serious and very specific warning. So Daniel pleads with Nebuchadnezzar, humble yourself. But we don't get his response, which probably doesn't bode well for Nebuchadnezzar. So, a year goes by, and we're going to read what happened, starting in Daniel 4, 28-30. Hear the word of the Lord. It says this, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Does that scream humility to you? Does it sound like he did what Daniel warned him to do, what God was asking him to do in his vision? No. Did you notice the me's and the eyes in there? It's all about Neb, okay? And there's a parallel here to the Tower of Babel. You guys remember in Genesis, there's a Tower of Babel where people are making a great tower to reach the heavens to make their own name great. Nebuchadnezzar here is proclaiming how great his name and his accomplishments are. He's bragging. So, Neb, sorry, in my notes I write Neb because I have no idea how to spell Nebuchadnezzar. So if I refer to him as Neb, that's okay. Nebuchadnezzar's number one issue is the sin of pride sin of pride. So let's talk about pride. Why is pride such a big deal? I mean, how, how bad is it to be prideful? There's a good side of pride where you're like uh, proud when you accomplish something, um, like a task, or you can be like proud of your kids or something, um, and that's a healthy kind of pride. But the sin of pride, it's really bad. When you break it down, I mean, it really, it caused Eve 
to want to be like God in the garden. It, it, it caused the fall of the angel Lucifer, who we know as Satan. Uh, that's in Isaiah 14, 12. It destroyed Pharaoh of Egypt, as it says in Exodus 5, 2. It caused King Uzziah to get leprosy, as it says in 2 Chronicles 26, 16. It made Paul have a thorn in the flesh for all his life. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. See, pride gives us the false idea that we are important, that we are great, in fact, that we are very great. Whether we admit it or not, pride is when we elevate ourselves above others. But the only one who's above others is God, God Almighty. So when we are prideful, we're placing ourselves on the same level as God. Pride makes us think that we are better than others because of our skills or our wealth or our beauty or our intelligence or anything that we have. But, 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 but what do any of us have that wasn't already given to us by God? None of it was ours made out of our own making anyway. You see, pride promotes strife. Proverbs 13.10 says this, Only by pride comes contention. Think about it. There's never been a war, a divorce, an argument, a broken friendship, a church split, without pride being a major factor. Shoot, just uh, turn on the news for one minute. One minute is probably all you need. You'll hear some story of someone and their pride causing problems. It might be over masks, it might be over politics, it might be over any number of things, but it is so present in our world right now, and it always has been. So you may not think, yourself, like, well, I'm not that prideful, I'm pretty humble, I try to be humble, but the dangerous thing about pride is it sneaks up on you. And it's very hard for us to see in ourselves sometimes. Pride is that little thing that says to us, you know, and we won't ever admit it in so many words, but I know even more than God or the Bible. Whenever we choose to live in our own way instead of his way, we're choosing to say, hey, yeah, I have a better idea of how I'm supposed to live than God or the Bible. Because my way, that's the way. Not Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. I can do things, you know, fully and completely on my own. I don't need help. I got this. That's pride's talking. Or I have complete control over my life. Again, or I have, without a doubt, 100% right opinion. It's not a conviction from God, but I know what I believe in this is right. That's pride talking. Are my secrets? They're nobody's business. No one needs to know about those things. That's saying I don't want to grow, I don't want to change, I don't want to move beyond those things. It's pride. See, God wants to help us with our problems. But pride denies that there ever is a problem. It stops us from doing the work we need to do. So back to Nebuchadnezzar. He was incredibly prideful. And what's the saying? Pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. Or in episode uh, three of Star Wars, Count Dooku, uh, well, Anakin says, I am twice as strong. I'm twice more powerful than last time we met. He said, twice the pride, double the fall. Like three people will appreciate that, and I'm okay with that. All right, so let's read uh, about Nebuchadnezzar, and this is where his fall comes. And this is in verse 31 through 33 of chapter 4. It says this, 
even as the words were on Nebuchadnezzar's lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You're going to be driven away from people, and you will live with a wild animal. You'll eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Ooh, who's in control there? Now immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Like, picture that. Picture that vivid description. That's disgusting. Nebuchadnezzar is disgusting. How humble and humiliated is this king, who was the greatest king of his time? No one could touch him except who is above him, God Almighty. Who is in control, God Almighty. Who warned him time and time again, listen, 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 I want to work with you. God's been very patient with Nebuchadnezzar through all of Daniel. But he humbles him. He's in complete control. I mean, his hair is long as nails for seven years. Seven years they grew without being cut. And the, the, he's drenched with the dew from heaven. He never went in there. He was an animal, meaning his mind wasn't in the right state. He couldn't think it's rain, so I'm going to get away. No, then I'm, I'm going to be right here, out in the rain. And here's the thing. God created us in the image of God. We were created to rule over the beasts of the field. That's the task he gave us, is to take care of it in his place. But here, when humans allow pride to stand in the way, when we try and make ourselves like God, we lose that reality of our identity, and we actually become like beasts. See, we become less. The greater we try and get on our own, he brings us down like the beasts. And the less human we seem, think about it, with sin, the deeper into sin you get, the less human you seem. You see, uh, there's like an insanity that comes with sin. And the further you go with it, uh, the weirder and scarier it gets. Think of the prodigal son, who at the depth of his misery and sin, he is like a pig. Eating like a pig, filthy like a pig. So God provides Nebuchadnezzar with a very powerful moment of humbling. And it lasts for seven years. This wasn't a day. A day would be bad enough. This is seven years. So imagine the rumors during that time. Can you imagine that? In this kingdom of Babylon that's so great. And like, where did he live? It says he took him away from people. But where was he? Was he just roaming the countryside? Did, did Babylon like send like caretakers to oversee him? Did they like, or, or what? And, and in the meantime, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar's officials, they obviously knew of the prophecy because they didn't replace him with another king. And seven years goes by. That's a long time to be without your ruler. They knew that, you know, if God was faithful, that his sanity would return, which is kind of amazing for this kingdom of Babylon. But he was humbled, humiliated. He fell deeply. And in our pride, when we fall, the fall is what really hurts. But it's also the very best thing that can happen to us very best thing. So let's see how this story finishes. Verses 34 through 37. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. 
my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion, it's an internal dominion. His kingdom, it endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth have regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. Those who walk right, he is able to humble. I find this amazing, God's mercy on Nebuchadnezzar. He did nothing to merit God's help aside from look towards God. And he's restored, not just in his right mind, but to the position he was at. And it says even his kingdom became greater. And it's a brilliant display of how God has this desire. He has this desire to forgive and to give people a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth chance. And what's the result? It's that Nebuchadnezzar, he's, it appears he's finally converted and believes that God Almighty is the one true God, worthy of all worship and praise. He immediately praises God after these seven years. After seven years of being a beast in the field, and you finally are back in your right mind, what would your reaction be to the one who caused this? I would be mad, I would think. But he recognizes it wasn't God who caused this, it was his own actions that led to this. And God Almighty is good. He restored him when he didn't have to. And that's what's amazing. See, in this account, God shows us that he's both able to humble the proud and exalt the humble. And the sin of pride brings nothing but destruction. But the way of the humble brings life. Humility is always better than pride. Simply look to Jesus Christ, the greatest to ever live, and also the most humble. We confess in our Apostles' Creed that he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And not just his death, but simply leaving heaven to come to be with us, to become man, to, to, to walk with us. And every single time he pointed to the Father, not to himself. Everything about Jesus Christ is about humility for, the God, for God and his kingdom, because there's no room for pride as his children. So if there is unhealthy pride taking root in you today, you can take heart and be encouraged, because God, if he can cause this great king to be humbled and to praise his name, if he can experience God's grace, confess to God's mercy, and be restored, the same is true for you too. And remember through it all who you are, a beloved child of God. Jesus paid the cost for us so we don't have to. And what's more, he promised that he will defeat the beast once and for all when he comes back and puts a full end to this pain and suffering we experience in this life. And as you remember who you are, remember whose you are, because you belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to Jesus Christ, 
And that gives us all the reason to be humble that we need. Praise be to God, who is worthy of all of our praise, and is greater than we can ever imagine. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks today that you are patient, you're slow to anger, you're abounding in steadfast love, your mercies never end. But we consider in our own lives right now, Lord, where pride maybe has taken root. Confess it to you, God. Trusting that you have a better way for us. Trusting that you are God alone. That you know what is right. So we pray that your Holy Spirit does a mighty work in us today and reveal those areas of pride within us. And give us the humility to confess them before you today. To repent of those things that stand in the way of us acknowledging that truth. And God, as we think about and reflect on Jesus, we can't help but be in awe of your love for us. It is incredible, this long-suffering relationship you've gone through with your people because of your love. Because, and then you forgive us time and time again, and you paid the penalty for us so we don't have to. God, you are so good. You are so loving. So we give you thanks this day. We love you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.